0: We bring you this special radio-television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. From the files of schlock and awe, welcome to Natural Selection, the home of the DTV creature feature. Here are your hosts... Matty Budrevich and Dave Wayne. Don't you dare touch me! Stand back! No! No! Hello and welcome to Natural Selection, the home of the DTV creature feature. Uh, My name is Dave Wayne and sat to my right is the adorable Matty Budrevich.
1: Hello, and I'll take that, thank you.
0: Why not? Um, thanks for listening. Um, thanks for certainly all your uh, feedback over the last month or so uh, since we had episode four, which was, uh, of course, Rottweiler and Arachnid. And uh, with episode four, we did run a competition as well to give away both Rottweiler, Arachnid, and the uh, the, the superb progeny, which you're a, you're a massive fan of, aren't you?
1: Yes, and just for the record, we in bundled that in there because it's such a criminally underseen little sci-fi horror.
0: It really is. We had quite a few entries for this, uh, but one lucky winner drawn at random is the uh, is the fantastic Reese Griffiths, who's uh, always been a long time listener. And um, yeah, well done to you, Reese. We'll send them over to you. Also, stay tuned to our Twitter profiles for a new competition, which will accompany episode five. You can win the deluxe uh, Anaconda quadrilogy from 88 films on blu-ray thanks to 88 films thanks to rich and james for donating one of those for us to give away uh we of course did do the booklet for that a, a wonderful um you know weighty tome of of creature feature goodness uh and you can read that along with watching the uh, those films which yeah.
1: is uh... and and just just to add to that that booklet was very much um the impetus of this podcast yeah. really, it was yeah. when we were sort of knee deep in snake movies and crocodile movies and all like the the sci-fi channel stuff the, that's what inspired us to turn it into something much bigger because uh, we, we felt there was a lot more to say about those kind of movies so if you're curious where the origins of the show come from give that booklet a flick through um, and just let us know what you think
0: Absolutely, you can, you can win that via our twitter feeds we'll we'll post something in the next uh uh, week or so to company this so so don't don't miss out on this it's a great box it retails about 25 quid so it's worth winning and it can be yours uh in the meantime thanks again for sharing and subscribing to our podcast it's really been so uh satisfying to see so many people listening and, and 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 telling us about uh, what they think of it whether they like it or hate it we, we don't mind uh, criticism as long as, mm, it's, um, mm. as long as it's not personal <laughs> <laughs> even then were we're pretty thick skin
1: um, but it, it's just nice the people we've connected with yeah. um, over the last few months doing this whole natural selection thing it's you know we, we sort of lived in a, a bubble where you start to believe you're the only people who like Mm -hmm. these kind Mm -hmm. of movies. And so hearing back that, yeah, there are fans of Crocodile. Yeah, there are fans of Blood Surf and Octopus out there. It's great. We love you. We are one.
0: Absolutely. But what have we got for today? That's the main thing. We've got the Python Boa Legacy, which is immensely exciting. And Matty is going to tell you more about that.
1: Yes, so um, the reason we've gone for the python Boar legacy or the python quadrilogy however you want to frame it Um, we've talked about how the vast majority of everything we've looked at so far has ended up playing on sci-fi stroke the sci-fi channel as it was Mm. back in the day and we have of course talked about the influence of anaconda lake placid and deep blue sea um, on that kind of product but what i think is interesting is how that stuff, how Anaconda, Lake Placid and Deep Blue Sea um, influenced those movies, those movies would then go on to influence um, a wave of creature features all of their own. Not artistically, but in a financial sense. So basically, the likes of Blood Surf, Crocodile, Spiders, etc., vacated to a demand for creature features created by uh, Anaconda et al., um, and then a slew of simile-styled movies cashed in on the success of them. So I guess you could really term it as uh, the rip-offs made money, so we got rip-offs of rip-offs. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> now, that's point one that we can sort of pin to Python and why we wanted to cover that and its sequels today. Uh, so yes, it was ostensibly made to cash in on Anaconda, but from a monetary perspective It was the new image and Trimark schlockers that were a more direct influence. Mm. Okay, so just to sort of uh, cement that, we've got a great quote from Python's director, Richard Kleber, which we uh, found on his website, uh, rkleber.com. And he says Python's story was created by Philip Roth, head of the Unified Film Organisation and the film's producer. While I truly have no first-hand knowledge about the genesis of the idea, I suspect that Python was less influenced by Anaconda and more affected by the pre-sales on King Cobra, which had sold extremely well at an earlier film market. There was a demand for snake movies, and I think Python was a response to that market. So to me, and I'm sure you agree, Dave, Mm -hmm. supply and demand is key here. Supply and demand is, of course, the essence of all filmmaking because, yes, while film is an art, and mm-hmm. we certainly do appreciate it as such, I think too often people forget that it's a business yeah. as well. You know, it's the film business. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly within the straight-to-video arena, it is very, very business-orientated. Yeah. Um, you need to keep making money if you want to survive. Mm-hmm. So look at New Image. Look at Trimark. And look at Python's producer, Philip Roth, and his company, the Unified Film Organization, a.k.a. UFO. Now, when we sort of got down to the nitty-gritty of this and started Mm. looking into Roth more, um, what I find interesting is that Roth, when he started out in the 80s, he used to share an office with Gus Van Sant. Mm. Okay, so Roth relates this great story where Van Sant couldn't get his... First film, uh, Madanoche, or however you say it. I'm not a massive Van Sant fan by by, uh, any means. (laughs) Um, But he couldn't get his first movie distributed. But Roth, Mm. who'd made uh, this goofy little action movie called Bad Trip, Mm. he got that picked up and it turned a healthy profit. So Roth went on to say that while he certainly appreciates Van Sant and loves the fact he's a very artful, very intelligent filmmaker. He was always surprised that Van Sant didn't turn his direction towards something that could be easily distributed, Mm -hmm. like action, like horror, like sci-fi.
0: I can't imagine a Gus Van Sant action movie. I I would love to see one. (laughs) I would absolutely
1: love to see one. Um, And so that got the the wheels turning in Mm. Roth's mind that he wanted to make Commercial, uh, commercially successful movies, and obviously while that's happening, you've got the video market yeah. bubbling there, and that is very much the definition of supply and demand. You know, video pops up, and it's all content, content, content. So, a bit of biographical information about Roth. Um, he was enamoured with film from a very early age, um, and he begins making movies in the eighties during the video boom. Uh, However, the first truly notable credits are a pair of early to uh, mid-90s direct-to-video robo-schlockers that capitalised on the likes of Terminator 2, Universal Soldier, uh, Robocop and its sequels, which were all doing great business either theatrically or on tape. So Roth makes Prototype and Apex, Mm -hmm. which are both great movies, and more importantly, they were both extremely profitable on yeah. video. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1995, Roth teamed with uh, Ken Orland, who uh, began as an actor, probably best known as the star of action series Super Force, where he starred as a, an astronaut-turned-cop who uh, rides around on a high-tech motorcycle. <laughs> so they start uh, churning out some more movies, and then in 1997, Roth and... Oland team with a guy called Jeff Beach who was Rock's mm. associate producer on Apex so he joined in 1997 after previously founding Royal Oaks with the great Andrew Stevens mm-hmm. the, uh, another director video renaissance man and uh, this is when UFO the unified film organisation really began to solidify Yeah. Okay. and UFO's ethos uh, is very very simple they wanted to make theatrical quality genre films for the video and TV market with budgets around the 1 million dollar mark uh, and these movies though had a massive emphasis on CGI effects, uh, which of course as you're moving more towards the early 2000s mm. when stuff like Anaconda Lake Placid and Deep Blue Sea is doing are doing great business theatrically, mm-hmm. doing great business on video, then you've got their influences coming up. Roth who very much caters to whatever the trends are, Yeah. he decides it's time to make creature features.
0: Right. Okay? Mm-hmm.
1: And that is where Python comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we'll go on to discuss the impact of Python once we get into the film, but Python interests me in the sense that it was one of the first true smash hits in the UFO catalogue In terms of what was sold to sci-fi whereas before you had the films like Total Reality Mm -hmm. that Roth did they were playing on the network they were playing on a few other cable stations but Python once it did gangbusters playing on sci-fi that was when Roth started playing to uh, supply and demand once again Mm -hmm. and he to this day remains arguably the single biggest purveyor of um, straight to video schlock for the sci-fi channel so that's why Python's important that's why we're going to look at these four movies today because, like Anaconda, you can sort of pin them around the trends of the time. We know the flight originated in Southeast Asia, but nowhere in the manifest is there so much as a mention of exactly what it was you were transporting. What we had was uh, something
0: unique an evolutionary chimera. Roberto! you ever seen anything like this before? Bodies
1: have been found here and here. This is our target. Time
0: to put your baby to bed. You don't have enough men. I warned you it was intelligent. In simple layman's terms. What was it? A very big snake. Now, nature's perfect killing machine is on the loose. Won't burn, can't shoot it. Out to feed. <laughs> Let's just say there's this little, little, big thing after us. And we're the prey. Casper <laughs> Van Deen and Robert Englund. No one else dies because of this thing. Do you understand that? I just hope your snake here does. <laughs> That's not going to hold for long. Python. Dude, you got me out of bed for a snake. Trailer for Python there, the um, creature feature, directed by Richard Kleber and produced by Philip J. Roth. So tell me a little bit about when Python... Finally hit. What what, what 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 happened? What was the reaction?
1: Um, Python debuted on Sci-Fi on Wednesday, the 9th of August, two thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, this was just before Sci-Fi were moving into original movie production of their own. Yeah, um, and it was just before they did that whole um, Saturday Night Monster Movie mm-hmm. thing. You know, the most dangerous night on television, <laughs> uh, where they'd have all these great creature features in the python mold playing um on a saturday evening you know it was pretty much it was a home driving
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: you know while it didn't air on the same night that all the rest of the python sequels would air on Mm -hmm. it to me python is sort of a prototypical template everything we've seen from the sci-fi channel mm-hmm. since. Yeah. You know, it did extremely well. It pulled in great numbers um when it hit uh US DVD in January 2001. It did great business for Fox. Right. And of course, that led to more demand for let's get a Python sequel. <laughs> let's get more Snake movies from yeah. Phil Roth and UFO because these guys know what they're doing. Mm. And to me, they do. Because as I've just said, it's the template of it mm. you know if you mm. look at everything that sci-fi have done ever since you can trace elements of that back to python
0: yeah but i mean you say about this template i mean that, that's that's fair and i agree with that to a majority of that extent but python is unlike any other sci-fi mm. film really mm. just in regards to tone um yeah. in regard to i mean the amount of of, of cameos in it that the, the the playful nature that it's it's funny mm. it really is funny um, so yeah I mean as far as the template goes for the movie yeah yeah but- it,
1: it's it's more in the sense of one mm. it's not entirely serious no you know you you look at sci-fi's subsequent catalog mm. and everything they've done isn't entirely serious they know they're making ridiculous <laughs> over-the-top monster movies most of which do have a naturalistic lilt. Mm. You know, they're about some sort of giant mutated animal or whatever. You know, you do have outliers in there. You've got things like uh, Jim Wynoski's Bone Eater, Mm. which is, you know, more like supernatural and based around uh, Indian mythology. But Python has the naturalistic bent. Mm -hmm. It pretty much has snake attacks every 15 minutes, which obviously when you're playing on a network like Sci-Fi, which is... uh, vital to keep you hooked in between commercial breaks Mm -hmm. it sticks to the sort of eight act structure that um sci-fi look for which in turn again sticks around the commercial break idea you want to have peaks every few minutes to keep people hooked Mm -hmm. to keep them coming back to stockroom changing that channel
0: yeah
1: but it's the humor it's the frequency of the snake attacks Mm. um and it's the style of it you know because while the temptation is to joke about sci fi movies, mm. and you know, I've been guilty of it myself from time mm. to time. It's mm. sort of you know, you say sci fi movie and it becomes a catch all term, yeah, uh, for sort of quote unquote naff mm. filmmaking. Mm-hmm. But when you actually take a step back and look at these films objectively, mm. look at the art on display in there, oh, you know, yes. there's a craftsmanship, mm. and so between. The relentless sort of snake activity between the not entirely serious presentation and between the um, you know the the sort of handsome mounting the well how well done the film is. Mm. This is the first okay. This is what we can do as a network. We've picked this movie up. It's done incredibly well. This is what people will clearly like and connect with.
0: Yeah, I mean. I'm presuming a lot of our listeners might not have seen this movie, but of course we it, you know, obviously urge you to go out and do this. Um but within the first seven and a half minutes, it's a bizarre opening to a film. You've got this this mm-hmm. obviously the sequence midair with, mm-hmm. with her old friend Ed Lauter, where they're they're carrying a, a, a cargo, mm-hmm. um which then crashes. You know, we then switch to <laughs> Um, a lesbian sequence of, mm-hmm. of um, mm-hmm. intense uh between <laughs> between Lisa and Roberta, but everyone's dated Lisa, so that's okay. Um, which is like really funny and really playful and very cool. And then we switch to a BMX uh, sequence with the most horrific sort of fresh metal opening, you know, soundtrack. I was I was really taken by that. I
1: actually oh, made, I actually made a note of it. That's um, the
0: one thing of the film I don't like it. Oh,
1: Oh, it's called Own Little World by uh, Cell, Dweller, uh, Cell Dweller, and it's kind of like a <laughs> Power Man 5000 Slipknot mashup. So obviously I, I, I came of age during nah. the whole new metal yeah. thing, and to, yeah. to me, this is just tonic. But what you said, that sort of plane crash, yeah. lesbian camp out, <laughs> BMXing, and a snake attack. Yeah. You know, this is, if you're a student of schlock oh, yeah. and mm. B-movies... you. You are sold within minutes of Python yeah. starting. You know it's pure tonic. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of thing you know that you you want to see when you're putting on a movie called Python. Mm-hmm. You know you want you want to see. I'm glad that it puts its stall out right away. Oh, it does, and because watching that, the rest of the film lives up to it. Yeah. Um, I would just like to add though that uh, that opening with Ed Lauter yeah. as the the plane uh, the plane pilot. Um, that was actually, it wasn't shot by clever oh, really? uh, It was shot by Philip Roth mm. and uh, the film's editor, Christian McIntyre, afterwards when they decided that um, they wanted to beef mm. the intro up a yeah, little bit okay. more and put the snake right front and centre rather than starting with this lesbian makeout scene. Yeah, Either way, sense. I mean, they're both two very strong openings. I mean, <laughs> a plane crash and a lesbian makeout, you know, it's, it's pure B movie heaven.
0: So, I mean,. Straight off the bat, you, you've got Will Wheaton with, with, with purple hair. hmm uh, yeah. You've got little John Franklin, mm-hmm. uh, who, who, of course, everyone knows from Children of the Corn. Um, you've got Jenny McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Robert England, who's cranking out some amazing lines. The, the
1: peerless England is... You know, uh...
0: like you, you can always get more men, but that specimen was irreplaceable. Um <laughs> Yeah, brilliant lines, and and, and and
1: and all the while, while uh, dressed like the man from Del Monte, he'd <laughs> say, "Yeah." yeah.
0: Um, and <laughs> and Casper Van who who is going to be the campest um, character with the most distracting moustache and and strange history. southern uh,
1: southern gentleman <laughs> accent, he's yeah probably one of the, the most effete mercenaries, yeah, effete tough guy mercenaries <laughs> you'll ever come across.
0: But that's it. I mean, you got those six characters, six classic as well, maybe maybe not Jenny McCarthy, he's a classic actor, but you know, the, these people that you identify immediately. And after mm. this opening seven and a half minutes, you, you've immediately got this. You There's, know, if, if the opening seven and a half minutes didn't grab you and pull you in, and in, this, mm. this film didn't endear itself to you, then the sight of these people just makes you mm. think, I, I know these guys, you know, I've grown up with these people, so yeah. this is very you know,
1: cool. You know, Billy Zabka from Karate Kid, Sean Whelan yeah. from The People Under the Stairs, it's just. Yes, it's a it's the sort of Rob Zombie, Wishmaster school of casting. Let's just get all yeah, these sort yeah, of cool you know. horror figures in there. I, as fan service, I think that's great. I think it's wonderful. But the big strength of that, how Claybore does it so well, is mm. that it... It establishes Python's world. Yeah, There's a real... The big strength of Python, obviously beyond the fact we get to see a snake devouring people, is that it has a wonderful sense of place. It, mm. You know, we're set in this little uh, Californian town called Ruby. Yeah. Um, and you feel like you're there. You feel like you get to know all the characters. Oh, you yeah. know, there's a wonderful hangout quality mm-hmm. to the picture. Um, and just all these quirky sort of... <laughs> Little subplots that are all tied together by yeah. the, the presence of this snake that's crash-landed in the mountains and he's causing havoc in the town.
0: I mean, we obviously have to come on to Kenny the Closer.
1: One um, of the finest, <laughs> finest cinematic creations in B-movie history.
0: I mean, to so sort of... Kenny the Closer is the kind of guy that you would imagine went to maybe an audition for mm-hmm. Glen Gary Glen Ross, <laughs> um, but didn't quite get the part. Uh, so just imagine like a hardcore you know, real estate guy, but like, and then like put him on speed.
1: Yeah. He is literally comedy gold. Kenny's, um, he, he has a wonderful sort of vignette where he's showing uh, Jenny McCarthy's character, <laughs> the, the wonderfully named Mrs. Gribaldi, around, uh, a show house. He, uh, ends up getting attacked by the giant snake, which is, uh, nestled in the garage. Mm. But before he's killed, before McCarthy's killed, mm. we have this whole sort of weird flirtation between <laughs> them while he's trying to sell a house in this really aggressive way. They're both utterly insane. It is just scene chewing of the highest order. Yeah. Um, And I tell you what, when you've got Robert England sashaying mm. around, mm-hmm. like, you know, sort of doing his Dr. Moreau man from Del Monte stick, to steal the film out from under England, who is one of the greatest yeah. uh, proponents of. Sort of camp, tongue-in-cheek horror out there. If you ask me, that is some remarkable acting, um, and it also speaks to the wonderful nature of Python's comedy because mm. this is, as well as hitting you with the thrills of the snake attacks, you know, it's a genuinely funny film that yeah. has a the, a basis in this sort of quirky Twin Peaksy type yeah, town. Yeah,
0: very much so. I mean, you know, no, no, um, put in tender, but along the Twin Peaks lines I mean it is written by a character from Twin Peaks it's written by Mike Nelson mm-hmm. uh, Gary Hirschberger who this is his this is his first script wasn't it First and only it was also co-written um, with Chris Neal and it was his first and only script and it was written by Paul Bowe who uh, this was his first and only yeah. script. So it's bizarre, but also that's quite thematic along along many of Ross's films. You will find a lot of people coming from other aspects of the industry and you'll find them delivering their first script. I mean, Paul Bowe, for example, he was first AD for Fred, Olin Ray for about eight mm-hmm. movies, wasn't he? Yeah. From, I think, between Cage, Fear and Invisible Dad, he worked on every one of those. But like I say, Python, along with um, Gary Hirschberg and Chris Neal, it was all their first gig. Which is um, which is a bit weird. I mean, you know, your first script, you don't expect them to come out with something white, quite white as famous. well
1: realized yeah. as that. You know, I think um, we do need to credit Kleber in mm. that as well because he's he's gone on the record as saying that his biggest influence for Python was Tremors. He oh, wanted that mm, sort. Mm. You know, and Tremors has that wonderful hangout that quality. Mm. It has that wonderful quirkiness. You do feel like you are living in perfection Mm -hmm. while this happens and you know I can definitely see watching Python the Tremors influence Mm. and I think it stacks up just as well as Tremors you know it's it's by no means a slovenly ripoff or anything like that but if you enjoyed Tremors if you enjoyed the comedy and monster aspects of Tremors I think you owe it to yourself to check out Python because it's just as well made Mm. and it's just as screamingly funny yeah and they they'd make a great double feature.
0: Yeah, without doubt. I mean, I know we've spoken about this before, and people are probably bored of listening to us um, going on about it. But we've got to mention the CGI. I mean, you know, you, you look back, and um, you know, moviegurus.com said said um, it's the worst example of CGI ever put on film. Uh, Which Ar- are <laughs> Ar- arrow in the head said it's the worst of the crop so far. Bad effects, worse writing. It's not even fun in a bad way. And that's uh, you know that, that's John Fallon. Um, people don't get it, didn't get it, haven't got it. Well,
1: this part of the conspiracy theorist in me
0: <laughs> wonders that we were
1: dealing with a sort. You know, we were dealing with the changeover from practical to mm-hmm. CGI. Now, personally, I think the CGI um, is pretty good through yeah. Python. For the fact that this was made for like just over one million dollars, I think it looks fantastic. Mm. However, I think that if you're familiar with the film's making, uh, you know, there was a a giant practical snake head was actually built for the film, Mm. and it was built by Sota FX. The head was used during filming, but it ended up being replaced by CGI in post because they felt it was more consistent with the look. Mm. Um, The irony, of course... Uh, is that the director, Kleber, doesn't think that it looks that consistent. Um, You know, the scenes which he shot, which accounted for the CGI to begin with, uh, with blue screen, green screen, stuff Mm. like that, he thinks looks great. Um, But the stuff that they placed over the practical things, um, he doesn't think look as good. I I don't think that's the case. Um, I... You know, he, he argues that the FX animators didn't have the proper material to work with. They were literally doing, like, a paint-over job. Mm. But I think it works. I, I happily buy into the illusion of it. Uh, and if you are one of these, you know, the fetishists for practical effects, there are, uh, I think there's two or three little instances where you can see practical you can see the snake's tail in one point and then there's a bit later on where you can see the giant snake head very briefly headbutting them in the in the finale but um, I think the CGI works I think uh, people saying otherwise clearly haven't seen many movies with genuinely bad CGI. You know, to give them <laughs> a more sort of modern touchstone, I think the yeah. CGI in Python looks a hell of a lot more convincing than fucking cats, <laughs> you know, with its weird uncanny valley uh, cat people Topical. kind of thing. Topical. Yeah, this, like, this will like,
0: outdate this in six months. <laughs> now we are, you know... Cats? Hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely right. Um, so... <sighs> where do people go and get this it's it's a, it's a charity shop too isn't it you know? Oh, absolutely
1: this is a, this is a staple of charity shops cx's all over um you can rent it on amazon prime for i think about $1 2.50 dollars yeah. there yeah. you go uh, and it's well worth it it's just it, it's just a lovely little movie obviously i've i've repeated i think you know some bloomer face but it's very very funny but beyond that from a technical point of view you know clever um he started off uh, doing like second unit camera footage mm. and a camera assistant on a bunch of Anthony Hickox flicks. Yeah. You know, Hickox of course is a director of tremendous style. Mm-hmm. Um I think Kleber belongs in that category. Um you know, some of the compositions that he has, it's it's very nicely shot. Mm. For a t- for what became a TV movie, it has a nice airy and cinematic feel. Um it's not that got that kind of rudimentary look that most people would expect from you know what they term a TV movie. You know, so there's there's movement, there's composition. It's not just point and shoot. You can tell that Cleaver can feel the shape of a scene. You know, so if you can get the American DVD, because yeah. that's the white that's in one eight five widescreen. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the British one, the, the British one from. Uh, Prism Leisure, I believe. It's the cropped 4x3. If you're a purist and want to see it how it was presented on sci-fi at the turn of the millennium, get the 4-3 version. But if you want to really enjoy, to to really lose yourself in the comedy, to lose yourself in the the style, it's worth importing the American disc.
0: You're listening to Natural Selection, the home of the DTV creature feature. Somewhere in the Antarctic. Deep below the surface, a team building a state-of-the-art prison. We're drilling through 12,000 feet of ice. Is about to release.
1: What the hell? This could be the most significant discovery in history.
0: Something prehistoric. What the... If
1: we stay here, you're gonna die.
0: Prepare... For the ultimate squeeze play. Dean Cain.
1: This is like a real life Jurassic Park.
0: I saw Jurassic Park. Everybody got killed. <laughs> Boa. Trailer off a Boa there, aka uh, New Alcatraz. And I think, you know, we, we, we spoke about the Python saga, the Python legacy, mm-hmm. but it's, and to, to some degree, quadrilogy, but if anything it's kind of like a, a four piece jigsaw with a manufacturing defect isn't it yes and then you get the, the get the jigsaw but it doesn't quite fit and you got to like really mm. put, beat beat the pieces together with a fist of your hand you know
1: yeah like Python Python is such a singular sort of experience mm. compared to the rest of the films in the yeah. loose series mm-hmm. um I think to try and track any sort of continuity across them is, there, there are things, you yeah. know, um, William Zabka's character from the first mm-hmm. film is sort of the through line between Python 2 and the final instalment, Boa versus Python. Yeah. Um, this second one, though, Boa, mm. um, a.k.a. New Alcatraz, this sort of seems to be the outlier. It really only becomes part of Python because they wanted to make Boa versus Python yeah, yeah. at the end um, if you were to try and track continuity accurately I think you would go utterly insane <laughs> it's a it's a fool's task um, because the big thing with Boa aka New Alcatraz is that you have Twin Peaks' Dana Ashbrook yeah. popping up in Boa as an inmate <laughs> of this prison of the future which is yeah. called New Alcatraz uh, located in the uh, Wait, wait, is it the Arctic or the Antarctic? Antarctic, in The yeah. Antarctic. So it's this prison that's located in the Antarctic that's been set up by world leaders to put the most dangerous criminals in the world in. Dana Ashbrook hmm. is one of these uh, criminals.
0: Yeah, he's a hacker, isn't he? Yeah.
1: yeah. He ends up wiped out by the boy. Spoiler alert! <laughs> but he then pops up in Python 2, albeit as a completely different character. Yeah, yeah. So to me, that shows that there was no sort of through line no. to begin with. With these films, it was just sort of by happenstance. Well, when retro we get to, fitted, yeah, practice, retro fitting yeah. in two thousand and four, them to join together. Mm. However, regardless of that, Boa, uh, in terms of a loose follow-up, you know, in sort of inhabiting the same world as Python, mm. um, I think it's excellent. Even though it's a very very different kind of movie yeah. compared to Python,
0: I think with with Boa, I mean, obviously. The real draw, I think, is the the moulding of the two separate aspects to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the prison movie, and you got the creature feature, mm-hmm. and that sort of fusion of those two is really uh, is really appealing. Um, because on paper, uh, across the four, I think I think Boa is almost the most appealing. Uh, you know, high security prison, Antarctica, world's deadliest criminals wow you know inject it into my eyeballs it is really sort of a a quite exciting proposition Mm -hmm. um whether it i mean it's certainly not my favorite of the four Mm. um it's great but i don't quite think Mm. it lives up to uh expectations
1: I, now personally I think it does it mm. delivers on everything I'd want to see from a prison movie mm. and a creature feature right, you right, know right. obviously the whole the sort of joining of the two is that this prison it's not entirely finished they're mm-hmm. still doing work on it you know <laughs> Craig, Craig Wasson from uh, Craig Wasser, from uh, body double and mm. uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 mm. he's the warden he's ordering all this uh, work to be conducted adding cells blah 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 all that stuff and right. they unearth a giant frigging boa from yeah. beneath the bowels of the Antarctic <laughs> which, of course, then goes round to massacre the rest of the prison um, and leads to the guards, a couple of soldiers, and Dean Kane and his wife, who are sort of reptile experts, being mm. brought in to help solve the situation. Um, I think it works. Both threads join wonderfully, to me. But, yeah. yes, there's a few dangling threads from the story that don't quite add up. You know, the big one for me is that Dean Cain and his wife we're having marital problems. He wants to have mm. kids, but she doesn't want to settle down. She wants to do the whole Jurassic Park excavation thing all the time <laughs> in a in a scene that is shamelessly lifted from Jurassic mm. Park. But as a stylistic exercise, I think it is a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal looking movie and oh, incredibly
0: is. exciting. We see that that's another thing because you know, obviously, each of these four movies have got a different director. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've got Kleber on on and, and the fourth and. and you know, we'll speak about the other two directors on the on the movies that follow. But with this being Philip J. Roth, yes. I mean, he wasn't a prolific director, mm. but he's he's much more he's more a producer yeah. and director. But but I, I'm wondering, like, you know, when when Charlie Band directs him, like directs a full moon film, mm. you can tell he's directed it because he's got a certain style. To it, yes. some, some might say it's a rather static style, but you know, he's got a style. Yeah, to yeah. It.
1: There's a, the the band
0: look. Yeah. Um, do you think with Philip J. Roth we get a different look compared to the other three.
1: Yes, to to me, I love stuff like this. What you said mm. about Band and Full Moon, I, I I love it when when the boss comes down to the office to show <laughs> the boys how it's done. Yeah. And yeah. to me, in filmmaking terms, Boat is a wonderful example of that. Mm. Roth is such a he's a wonderful stylist. Yeah. Um, I've all his his movies. They've, you know, they're sort of like a little bit of James Cameron. Mm. a little bit of Tony Scott, a mm-hmm. little bit of Michael Mann. Yeah. You know, they've got that sort of... He's a master of creating a big look from
0: sod all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I've got down. I've got this is certainly the most polished film mm. of the four, yeah. you know, stylistically.
1: It, 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 you know, it feels much, much bigger than what the 1.2 million budget. It looks incredible. It's all mm. shadowy, there's smoky, there's explosions. Yeah. The, the CGI is, is really It's not bad, Extremely yeah, good. yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm not saying it's a bad film in any way. I like this film, but watch it, you know, on repeat um, with, with pleasure. But all I'm saying is a couple of aspects of it that just just make it for sure. And I think um, mm. two things for me that, that 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 stand out right from the core is is Craig Wasson, who I think is a charisma vacuum. Mm. You know, I think mm. for a warden, for a warden of any prison, you have to have that kind of um, just that kind of aura about you, yeah. but he seems so flat. I mean, you know, I, I did a piece on um, on Broken Bars, a uh, complete tangent. Broken Bars, the the Wings um, action movie from the from the nineties mm. that we writing about for Schlock and All, and Wings Houser plays a prison ward- prison warden, and he's just fantastic. He's incredibly camp. He's incredibly just. Off, off scene chewing Insane. yeah scene chewing yeah. and I think you need that level of insanity for a prison warden where Wasson just seems like a, yeah. just seems like a commuter just having a day at of the office in, in yeah. some respects
1: whereas when you look at something from a similar period that played on sci-fi a like little movie, bit like, like uh, Beyond Reanimator yeah. with C- Simone Andrew as the, the warden point. who's just Good this point. wonderfully fascistic yeah. nasty bastard yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. can see that with, with uh, what but it's, it? it's
0: a minor quibble I mean I, I must emphasise that it's a minor quibble mm. Everything else about it is great. I mean, Roth himself wrote the script, and he with um, with Terry Niche, mm-hmm. who again, like, um, while she wasn't a, a one off writer, she did only write for years. She had three films out mm-hmm. in the same year. She had um, Boa uh, Falcon Down with with uh, William Shatner and Mindstorm as well, all, mm. all for Roth, of course.
1: Yeah, you know, pu- pulling on in house talent. Yeah, you know, um, I would like to say going back to the uh, the look mm. a lot of that is accomplished by the cinematographer Todd Barron yes. who does an incredible job but what really like, like he did
0: with the room a couple of years later yes which <laughs> Sorry.
1: very sadly for better or worse this guy is now forever going to be associated with Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> um but you know here he he does a very good yes, job, he does, uh, yeah. but he's aided immensely by some amazing production design mm. by uh, David Huang, right? Um, who also did Roth's Total Reality, uh, mm. Velocity mm. Trap, mm. and had previously done the production design for Python. Mm. This is probably the most spectacular in terms of set, yeah. in terms of how it all looks and stuff. Like the the, the new Alcatraz prison, just looks wonderful. It's it's up there, you know, alongside the likes of Stuart Gardens Fortress mm-hmm. as. A really, really cool prison of the future.
0: Yeah. I mean, what, what's your opinion on Dean Kane? I, mean, I like him. Do you like I him? I like him. Yeah,
1: he he is though, just Dean Kane. Yeah, I don't think I've ever Dean seen Cain. a movie where I believe him as a character. I believe. <laughs> but in terms of Dean Kane fighting a boy yeah, with his estranged wife, yeah, I'll take that.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah it's just a, he's a he's a guy who again, it can come across as a little bit bland, but. He's mm. just done a lot of these films that, I mean, around that time, uh, just, just prefixing Boa, he was in stuff like Militia, wasn't he? Mm, yeah. And uh, and Firetrap and um, and No Alibi mm. as and, well. And then
1: uh, after this, he did um, what sort of, you could argue, is a, mm. a sort of loose, dragon-centric <laughs> remake of New Alcatraz uh, mm. for off called Dragon Fighter, which oh, yeah. very much follows the same story, beat. Mm-hmm. Um I do think, in that sense, in terms of story, that's another one of the flaws of boar mm. Other than the fact it's a snake, you know, you, you could literally you could drop and tape a snake out, drop an alien in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take the alien. Out, drop yeah. a Yeti in there. You know, it's 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 a monster of the week setup. It's just so yeah. ha- it feels like that they had this story of a monster on the loose in a futuristic prison.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, okay, snakes are, pro- uh, are popular, let's drop a boar in there. Yeah. It felt okay. a little bit
0: like Octopus Two for me. Yeah, um, yeah. *Octopus no, One*, sorry. Yeah, could have been anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, we got this fight, haven't we, between Boa and New Alcatraz? And what, what, mm. what are you favouring for this one?
1: Um, my preferred title is Boa. Yeah. Um, I, my my gripe with it being called New Alcatraz, you know, I've got I, I've got the the Boa DVD, which mm. was released by Sony, um, and uh, I believe that was released in May two thousand and two time on either side of the Atlantic Um, however it was re-released on DVD uh, as New Alcatraz in January 2003 by Mm. Third Millennium Um, Third Millennium of course they'd released the original Python on VHS Mm -hmm. uh, in in 2002 Um, and then they would go on to release Python 2 um, Mm. five years after it was made on DVD in 2007 where it'd be retitled as Snakes Mm -hmm. but What annoys me about retitling it "New Alcatraz" is that Third Millennium, uh, in their marketing, they don't mention the snake (laughs) at all. They, if you, it's just a futuristic prison movie, right, right, right. You know, and if you went into it just thinking that it was going to be a futuristic prison movie, the second this giant (laughs) boa shows, you know, what the fucks going on here? You know, boa at least makes it obvious that you are going to see a giant snake, and it's set in a futuristic prison.
0: The Americans wanted. It. It's a military experiment, genetic freak, acid spitting, intelligent, damn near bulletproof, perfect weapon. we're under attack. The Russians found it. Have you ever seen anything like it? But now, all of them are dead meat. You guys aren't afraid of snakes, are you? is back what the hell are you shooting at <laughs> and it's hungry for more the government's going to deny any of this happened how much time have we got
1: anybody know any good church hymns?
0: <laughs> python 2 the terror will swallow you whole. You were listening to the trailer for Python 2 there. Um, the sort of sequel to Python, I guess. Would you call it that?
1: Uh, it is and it isn't. Um, <laughs> like It's more of a sequel and follow-on than Boa. Um, yeah. But like Boa, it's... Um, I, I guess it's free of the quirky sort of humour that courses through Python. Both Boer and Python Two play very, very straight. Mm. Um, it does directly link with Python because, of course, you've got Deputy Greg played by William Zabka back, <laughs> but he's not the same Deputy Greg. He changed a bit. Um, in Python, he is yeah. a nasty, jaded. Mm.
0: Piece of shit black
1: ops <laughs> mercenary for the CIA. He's come a long world. way in two years. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, Zab himself, He's been in about ten Philip Roth films, hasn't he? Mm. I mean, he's he's like a prolific uh, he, UFO guy. We, you know, people, nost-
1: uh, you know, get all nostalgic about. Karate Kid but to mm. me I see Zabka I think Roth I think Jim <laughs> Um his B-movie credits are astounding and yeah. he's, he's great in them all he really elevates the material I mm. think I think we've given him short shrift over the years for his part in Karate Kid Just you know and things like How I Met Your Mother just sort no, of no. focus on the comedy aspect of him mm-hmm. but he's g- give Zabka a decent B-movie like Python like Python 2 and he's great because as much of a horrible tosser Deputy Greg is in this movie now Yeah. Zabka plays him to the hilt oh, he does. He's, he's having a yeah. whale of a time playing him as, a, as an awful awful bad guy
0: without doubt um, I mean the, the crux of the movie is about Bobby Briggs isn't it um, yes let's just call him Dana Ashbrook for, for, for the pr- sake of professional clarity. reasons Yes, um, um, Dana Ashbrook and his wife yes. uh, Nadia played by Simone McKinnon mm-hmm. um Pretty straightforward, then. Man and wife, they run a transport company, mm-hmm. and they've been asked to transport an unknown object from a Russian military base, and that is it. Yeah, for
1: for what is it? Hundred grand. Like, yeah, hundred hundred grand US dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so it's it's like the the epitome of simplicity, isn't it? Mm. Um, and that works. I like this film a great mm. deal. I I know people trash it, but I, I love this film. Ah, uh, yeah. I am a fan of mm. Python 2
1: um, I do think it's very it's very very good but uh, <laughs> I find whereas I could put Python on Boron and yeah. vs Python on at any time mm. Python 2 has such a dark and Euro pudding feel mm. to it. That I, I, I have that. to be really in the mood for it. Right. But I can see why you like it because <laughs> it's got the whole octopus Bulgarian
0: eccentricity thing. I love that. I love that. That that's a real draw for me. That mm. whole Bulgarian cold Eastern Bloc yeah kind of setting concrete love it absolutely love it
1: and the good thing about Python too Mm. is that it angles into that it factors it in as part of the story obviously Mm -hmm. it's Bulgaria masquerading as Russia but then when you look at Boa vs Python or any of the other sort of Bulgaria masquerading as USA kind of movies that's much harder to do than have it framed as Russia yeah, you know, so it angles into all the uh, Eastern Bloc kind of stuff, the architecture, texture, uh, architecture, architecture um, the um, the sort of rural sheen to it, because there's a, a great deal of time is set pursuing this giant mm-hmm. python around like a farmhouse that's built on yeah. top <laughs> of a military base.
0: Yeah, that's a great building. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Lee McConnell directing this who's an FX guy by trade Mm -hmm. Uh, he worked for Coleman did stuff like Wasp Woman Uh, he did a lot of work for UFO as well with stuff like Velocity Trap and more recently he's gone quite mainstream with stuff like The Hunger Games Uh, meanwhile Jeff Rank uh, is writing it who was a production manager for UFO, which again reinforces the fact of them promoting their uh, in-house uh, mm-hmm. guys to, to, do a, to do a script. It,
1: it also cements the sort of incestuous nature yeah. of the, the UFO pool, because Randy of course, much so. pops up as an actor in Boa vs. Python.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, it, it, that, that is it, it's, um, it's pretty much the case for the cast as well. you got Alex uh, Jolig, who, who plays Matthew Coe. He was in three films for, for UFO. Marcus Aurelius plays Colonel Jefferson again. He was a pilot in Boa, mm-hmm. uh, another UFO regular. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 it's... A- and,
1: and then Ashbrook, of course, who was a different character in Boa, and yeah. that links in with a whole Twin Peaks connection that you discussed, where you've got a guy who was played Dana Ashbrook's best friend in Twin Peaks, <laughs> writing the script for Python. Yeah. He then pops up in Boer yeah. alongside
0: Dana <laughs> Ashbrook, who then goes on to star in Python 2. Yeah. Crazy. But this is what makes it all such fun. I mean, it, it's got this this weird opening bit, hasn't it, that doesn't really fit. They shot that after the film, didn't they? Mm. And inserted it because the film was too short. I mean, it's a short film anyway, it's only about 85 minutes. Yeah, yeah. But they needed to pad it out and to be honest I don't think it it, it grates in any way you can't you don't watch it and suddenly think
1: oh, no I mean I like the sort of military macho posturing mm-hmm. at the start I also I do really like how it angles into the Cold War stuff you know yeah. you go, it, I, I've always got a great deal of affection for straight to video movies that flirt with the Cold War kind of thing mm-hmm. um, I just think it's an interesting topic yeah Um. But you know, it, it sets up how powerful the snake is, and again, it showcases some quality CGI. Mm. You know, because I, once again, I don't think the CGI in Python Two is is bad at all.
0: No, but I think the CGI fits with the surroundings. I think, mm. Mm. I think, I mean, if you had to criticize the first Python film for anything, oh, well, not not criticize it, but you, you might say that the uh, the fact that it's shot a lot in daylight. Uh, gave sort of a reason to sort of highlight the the, the flaws in the CGI yeah. where where the sort of the underground setting of python 2 mm. it, it doesn't expose the the deficiencies in the um, in the CGI as much mm. as i think any other scenario. Uh, yeah you know yeah. It's, it's
1: more it's there's that wonderful sequence where um it, one of the soldiers is getting tracked through the farmhouse yeah, yeah, and yeah. you've got the the wonderful shaking sort of snake mm-hmm. cam it's got, you know it's got this slivering motion to it, um, mm. shrouded in bits of darkness and stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I want to say there's a sort of alien type tinge to it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I, yeah, I think it works. It's it's atmospheric once they get down into the the bunker as well. However, my criticism stylistically, it's not quite as polished as Roth's boa No, no, no. Um, I think. When it, the lighting, the use of lighting gels in certain parts of the uh, military base, it looks, you know, it, it's it's colour for the sake of colour. Yeah. It looks like someone doing a Fisher Price My First Barber homage, <laughs> rather than <laughs> any kind of, uh, you know, it, it hasn't got the the texture or the meatiness to the visuals that Boa does. No. But it does, as as uh, as with Boa, as with Python, I do like how each of these movies have their own specific look. There is a style yeah. to each of them. Oh,
0: without doubt. I mean, the D.P.E. was uh, Ono. Oh uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's how you pronounce his surname. It's uh, O-H-N-O. Azusa Ono. I'll go for Ono. He started out as a gaffer back in 1986 in uh, with, with Neon Maniacs before going on to Night of the Demons and, uh, and Night Angel uh, uh, as, as well. So, uh, I mean, he's had a a real sort of education in uh, really fine, genre fine-looking filmmaking. genre filmmaker. Yeah. Um, and for, for me, you know, it, it does work in that respect. There's one thing that, that well, probably the aspect of this film I love the most, and again, it's a it's a it's a big spoiler. And it's it's the it's the baseball thing that's running through the film. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's good. It's yeah. just ridiculously ridiculously outrageous, uh, a little bit camp, and um, mm. you know, the fact that you know, you know, Bobby Briggs is is kind of. Um, Dana Ashbrook is kind of um, <laughs> is a lynchian slip lynchian um, it, it has had, like had this baseball yes, pastime his is a baseball, he's a baseball player but you don't know what player. it is you know something's happened mm. and it finally transpires that um, he killed someone with a hundred miles almost per, killed him almost, almost killed, killed someone killed I want to believe he killed someone <laughs> <laughs> some baseball player laying face down on a on, on a, um, a what do you call it is it a diamond we're so British. Jesus. I don't know. I'll just say pitch. Yeah. we the oval and really confused yeah. people. <laughs> <laughs> On the centre circle. Um, for, and, and yeah, just that. But but it's just that the way that that then translates into the final sequence of the film. Yeah. You know that, 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 that two finger lick that yeah. he does. You know, and just sort of gets ready, I won't, I, won't, I won't tell our listeners exactly what happens, but just the way... Well, it's used,
1: it's fought, it's, it's touched exactly, upon, it's foreshadowed, because obviously there's that great bit where he, where he gets shafted over by one of these awful Russian uh, arms dealers yeah, I'm presuming, yeah. and he throws like an object that cold clocks him right in the middle of his head, you know it it's not a case of, they don't just add it in at the end, no, like no, oh no. by the way he plays baseball, which <laughs> why he can throw a grenade so well you know, it's built up it's a good. It, it's yeah. built up, and there's a good payoff to it.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, as we've mentioned before uh, earlier on in this this episode, that you know these films obviously weren't weren't greeted with uh, with um, you know much praise. But my, my favourite uh, critical quote is from a website called uh, deathwishindustries.com. Sounds legit. Sounds legit, and and they called it. Um, a shitty piece of shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which, utter, utter, again, utter bollocks. Like I, uh, To say that completely negates the fact that, one, it's mostly very well shot. Yeah. Two, it's got a great performance from Zabka. Mm-hmm. Equally good performance from Ashbrook, who is a very, very mm. likeable guy. He certainly yeah. deserves better than the sort of uh, yeah. vanishing into partial obscurity and yeah, just yeah. pop up in the occasional B movie that, he, that he's got. Um, And it also... Negates the fact that while the film isn't perfectly paced, mm-hmm. it does this. This is again where sci-fi like right, we need peaks every ten to yeah. fifteen minutes yeah. so we can cut the commercial. There is something happening. There is something stimulating you the entire time you watch it. Mm-hmm. I was never ever bored. No, no, watching no, no. no I'm so. never bored watching Python Two. There's always something happening. Yeah. If you watch it without the context of commercial breaks though it does feel kind of strange because it's not it's not a three act structure it's like you know it's ten minute vignettes ostensibly but it works Mm, and it mm. keeps you interested if you don't overanalyze it and just go along for the ride I think it's it's fantastic before we wrap it up this little segment on Python 2 I do think we need to talk about its uh, release Mm -hmm. Um, because this is where shit gets kind of strange yeah um Python 2 uh, first landed on US DVD in July 2002, a month and a half after Sony had released Boer. Right. Now, apparently... Python 2 was picked up for disc by Fox because, one, Python had been successful Mm -hmm. enough as a rental property for them. Obviously, it was successful on the Sci-Fi channel as well. But as a rental property, it did very good business. Mm. So Fox wanted a sequel, and Fox also wanted to go up in almost direct competition against Sony, (laughs) who were releasing Boa. Now, neither film was as successful on DVD as the first Python was. Boa didn't do as good as Sony were hoping, mm-hmm. and neither did Python 2 for Fox. Um, so, Python ended up premiering, you know, air quotes, because it's already mm-hmm. out on DVD, yeah, but yeah. it premiered on the Sci Fi Channel on Saturday, the 17th of August at 9pm as their big Saturday night monster movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly, the title was pluralised at that point. It wasn't Python 2, it was Pythons 2. Right, okay. Now, that's strange because. Uh, Pythons 2 then becomes Snakes when it's released <laughs> as uh, over here in the UK yeah. by, once again, Third Millennium. Now, Third Millennium they did not connect it to the Python no, movie no. at all. you know. So it's called Snakes and it wasn't released in 2002 it was released in 2007 five years oh. after its uh, American release. However, it was released on DVD in the UK within six months of *Snakes on a Plane*'s DVD release, ah, which I find, okay. can't, you know, it, it's clearly mm, people like snake <laughs> movies. Still, we better get one. Let's pluck one from the vault. Yeah. So, there you go. I just thought that's uh, a cool little thing to sort of, if, if you like me, in an anorak for calendar dates, and you want to <laughs> keep some sort of tally of what creature feature was released <laughs> and when, and watch them chronologically, I got your back.
0: You're listening to Natural Selection, the home of the DTV Creature Feature.
1: This is a once-in-a-lifetime, gentlemen. We are the knights that are going to slay the dragon. One of the most cunning predators on this planet. Lock and load, boys. We're in python country.
0: I understand you've grown a rather large snake here on the
1: premises. She's a constrictor, Scarlet Queen Boa. I'd like to
0: use your Boa locate and eliminate that python the world's two most powerful predators
1: this thing is on the loose you are going to find it exactly fish and game department's got a file two inches thick on this guy that's his python down there set loose
0: using my implants we can track the boa as it tracks the python and see
1: every move she makes
0: to fight for survival we gotta get
1: him out of there in about three minutes, that tunnel is going to be filled with several thousand gallons of water. Come on!
0: Now the rampage begins. Versus Python. That was the trailer for Boa versus Python, the fourth movie, in this wonderful Python slash Boa saga. Um, and we're not really, we're not really going along the lines of, um, you know, decreasing sequels here, are we? You know, no, no, the no, lure no. of diminishing sequels. So um, to say.
1: First off, I think I owe this film an apology. <laughs> you know, I can read. <laughs> I think in our anaconda notes, mm. based upon a memory of seeing it when it first came out I called it disappointing um, and up on revisiting it for this mm. episode I would like to formally retract that statement. I think yeah. Boa versus Python is a splendid, splendid little creature feature, <laughs> and I will forever kick myself That's for right. having it down in print. But I thought it was disappointing because it isn't. It does everything that you want it to do.
0: Mm. If anyone has that booklet, they can just send it to us in a sample return envelope. We'll chip X it out, yes. and then we'll just put in, you know, <laughs> super or something like that. But Um, uh, but, but but, we we talked about this off-air before. It's so easy, isn't it, to to formulate a a, a sort of trashy throwaway opinion on a film like this mm -hmm. without having it in its full context.
1: Yeah, and art's subjective. Yeah. I've lost count of the amount of films I've changed my opinion on. Uh, You know, the the big example, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, which Mm -hmm. I used to think was a snooze-inducing headache. (laughs) But fast-forward... You know, a couple of viewings later, when I'm a little bit older, I think it, it's in my top five right. Carpenter. I mm-hmm. think it's a fantastically scary movie, um, and Boa vs Python, yeah, it's it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, not so now, it, it you do see the Boa vs Python, you do see the hook, yeah, um, but there is it takes a while to get there and if you were to if I was to give it any sort of big criticism one it doesn't quite offer the epic snake fight that you want no, to see no, no. um and it does sort of kind of just end it doesn't have a resolution it just Not stops really. <laughs> but everything else it is a hoot from front to back
0: without doubt i mean what have we got got involved here we've got a, a sort of a weirdly ambitious businessman in the shape of um the mancunian actor manchester born uh adamo Palladino, who seems to otherwise go by the name adam kendrick i mean mm. i don't know what i i have no idea who he was this no. movie. no um but i do know that he employs very expensive hair straighteners <laughs> um sorry just envy um so yeah, he he has the great idea. He's um, of transporting a, a eighty foot python back to the US, mm-hmm. which uh, which escapes. Uh, there's, there's, yeah, there's...
1: what's he transporting it back to the US for? Um, Big game hunting. Big game hunting. We've got this sort of, It's kind of like a snake equivalent of John Woo's Hard Target. <laughs> you know, he he's this rich businessman, casino owner, who wants to. Give his friends the ultimate hunting experience, which yeah. would be hunting a giant python.
0: But ironically, though, he 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 sort of he's doing this on the way back from a wrestling uh, yeah match, yeah. which is a bit weird because they're all like the two competitors, aren't they? Called python and boa. Yes, which is uh, a I little bit of weird foreshadowing, I, I guess. Clever or just awkward? I don't know. Yeah, I'm undecided on that. But yeah, so. So Python escapes. Then we've got this rather droll FBI agent played by Kirk Voller, who's always an FBI agent. That's all he ever plays, uh. and cops, who um, who joins forces with a snake specialist played by David Hewler. the great David Hewlett, the great David Hewler, who's uh, who is very very good. Sorry, born. Um, he has the 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 interesting. Some people might say. Um, thing of being in every single Vincenzo Natale film.
1: Yes, that's a great little... From Cube little through to
0: uh, Debug. Um, yeah.
1: um, also, um, obviously, Stargate SG-1, yeah. which was a, a big hit on the sci-fi channel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, that factored in from yeah. sci-fi's perspective because at this time, sci-fi as a channel, we're now becoming more vocal about mm-hmm. what they wanted from the movies yeah. that they were bankrolling. You know, the sci-fi framework is they'd give out a flat fee mm-hmm. to uh, to an indie producer. So, yeah. for example, they, they gave the flat fee of $750,000 to Philip Roth mm. to bankroll Boverse Python. But with that come stipulations of one, you need to stick to our eight-act structure. We yeah. want the creature on screen every 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, two we want someone of while not name name value but someone recognisable to yeah. our audience mm-hmm. uh, and free it, you know it, we want the cinematography to be light airy and stylish right you know because the I was listening to uh, Fred Olden Ray's um, podcast oh, yeah a couple of weeks ago um, what 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 is it? One shot, take one, one take, one take territory. Yeah, brilliant little podcast. Um, it's just Fred Allen Ray waxing lyrical about memories mm, and, mm. and whatever goes through his head, like a sort of stream of consciousness <laughs> thing. And uh, he was talking about Dino Wolf. Oh yeah. And he was on about when they made, which Dino, is brilliant. which is an excellent movie, mm. great film. And um, when they made Dino Wolf in two thousand and nine. Yeah. Um, while Sci-Fi didn't bankroll it, the plan was to distribute it to Sci-Fi. Mm. So he got a copy of their like their movie bible which is a sort of like okay. a, a do's and don'ts list right and one of the things that sci-fi stipulate is they do not like night shooting they do not like to have movies set during night time because if you're watching a movie flicking through the channels late at night mm. they reason if you see something that's dark on the screen you will fall asleep or you will <laughs> lose interest in it they want to see everything in full right. lurid eye popping color and stylistically that's where we find uh, Boa vs. Python. Yeah. You know, a very comic book-looking movie.
0: Yes. It's um, so like we say, we got this this, this guy, Brudick, who's who's lost his snake, mm-hmm. uh, FBI agent, and um, Hewlett, who plays a guy called Emmett. They must plot to stop it, and the only way they, they see fit to stop it <laughs> is uh, to pit it against a bioengineered 70-foot boa. Yes.
1: So if you're expecting a proper link between... <laughs> Uh, the Python movies and boy, you do and you don't get it yeah. because of the Python. It's revealed um, they make mention of the the late great Deputy Greg, played by William Zabka, who sadly killed in Python Two. Mm-hmm. Um, but they mention the uh, the the Greg Larson project, which was <laughs> about tracking and finding these giant snakes and presumably, as always, using them as a superior military weapon. However, the boar in Boar vs. Python, it ain't the same boar as, uh, as the boar in no, Boar. No. <laughs> you know, it, it's been created by David Hewlett's character, who we find out is wanting to make a universal snake anti venom, which I don't know why that involves creating a, <laughs> a giant boa, but it does. Um, and so, it's a boar in name
0: only. This is more Python. Mm. than a bore film, oh, without doubt. Um, I mean, where does this fit? I mean, you're 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 the expert with regard to the detail of uh, of sci-fi movies. I mean, sci-fi movies, they're always very PG-friendly um, mm. stuff. But I mean, this isn't. I mean, there's a DVD for this, a particularly different cut. I mean, you've got a bomb in there. Mm. You've got a very sort of um, sex scene, shower scene. With, yes, yeah, um,
1: there's you know there's tea in it. Mm. in it you know it's got if you're one of the anoraks who like pausing this kind of stuff you know you've got your your little Mr. Skin moment oh yeah um, but Boa vs. Python was intended as a sci-fi movie mm-hmm. as I said rough. Roth Got the flat fee, which they offer to all the other companies, seven hundred and fifty thousand. Mm. The rest, you—if you want to make any more than that, you have to pony it up from international sales or DVD sales. Yeah. So that's how you end up with what a, a budget that's about one point two to one point five million. Mm-hmm. So it was always intended from the outset to premiere on Sci-Fi, whereas Boa and Python Two, while Python Two ended up premier, quote unquote premiering. Yeah on sci-fi it was because fox wanted it as well but this was a pure uh, sci-fi movie and it was done to uh, capitalize on the the versus film mm-hmm. success you know in the, in the lead up to Bo versus python it premiered on uh, sci-fi on the 22nd of may 2004 9 p.m in their big saturday night monster movie slot um and in the year previous to that, in August 2003, we had uh, Freddy vs. Jason. And then a month after Boa vs. Python premiered on sci fi, this was round about the time Alien vs. Predator mm. was going into theatres. Yeah. Um, there's a great article on Wired.com about the methodology of the mm. sci fi channel movie, about how they finance them and things like that. Um, and they made it clear that the title of Boa vs. Python. in many ways it's typical of them because it does exactly what it says on the tin it promises you something Mm -hmm. that while the ultimate fight between them isn't as spectacular as you'd want you do get it and you do get plenty of boar action plenty of python action and if you look at it in this way boar versus python has since gone on to Influence uh, the, the great sort of sci fi channel versus rip offs and cash ins yeah, so, yeah. you know, s- the stuff that's followed you've got the Asylum's Alien vs. Hunter, mm. um, the Asylum's Mega Shark versus series, um, all the Roger Corman stuff like Sharktopus vs. Terracuda, Sharktopus vs. <laughs> Werewolf, Shark- <laughs> uh, Sharktopus versus whatever, Dino Croc vs. Supergator, and then Lake Placid versus Anaconda, which of course course, Roth would go on to produce with UFO. And as we said earlier, Roth is the biggest proponent of sci-fi movies. He's, you know, he's he's the one now who, if you want a sequel to Wrong Turn to premiere on sci-fi, you go to Roth. Yeah, you know, he's one who's got his hand in all these pies. But going straight to cable, straight, you know, he supply and demand. Once yeah. again, and Boa vs. Python is a central sort of part of that framework, mm-hmm. you know, because it was insanely popular um, on the sci-fi channel, um, and it was it did incredibly well on DVD as well. I mean, even nostalgically, I can remember this being on every the shelves of every single supermarket in 2004, yeah. the shelves of Woolworths, you know, as a rental in Global, in Blockbuster, and mm-hmm. You know, even even uh, if memory serves, got mentioned in Empire Magazine and not just in Kim yeah. Newman's video dungeon either. You yeah. know, it was sort of, it was entering the, the public consciousness of all these versus genre movies. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this was the, the start of a new era for sci-fi almost, wasn't it? Really, mm-hmm. where, where they uh, weren't really sort of real uh, as opposed to sort of playing about with with their format, they went in a specific direction and sort of stuck yeah, to it. Yeah, they
1: stuck to it. And, and obviously, uh, as we said earlier, Python is the great sort of template because it has that. There's something happening every 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. It's not entirely serious. It's light and airy to look at. Mm. Boa versus Python is a, is a direct callback mm. to the first Python. You know, it's much more with Boa and Python 2. They're quite serious... Um, you know, in much more
0: somber movies, mm. oh, whereas yeah. this has got that sort of winky campiness straight to it. off the bat. I mean, you've got the, the opening credit sequence, which is kind of almost has a, like a Danny Elfman sort of playfulness mm. with it, yeah, yeah. Uh, and overall, just the characters in the films are just more lighter and they're more they have sort of a comedic aspect to them, yeah. Um, you know, if you look further at the people who are in the film, you've got someone like Griff First, for example, mm. um, who has. You know, only a couple of years later would go on to make his producers his um, his own films for sci-fi he, mm-hmm. he he formed his own production company called Curmudgeon Films I think with his dad who of course played um, Thingy in National Lampoon's Animal House Bluto not Bluto Jean Belushi oh um, of course um, Stephen well, First Stephen First yeah yeah.
1: from uh, from The Unseen as well he's in yeah. The Unseen isn't he he's yeah, yeah. That. wow that's amazing I, I did not know that yeah
0: so those two uh, formed their own production company called Curmudgeon Films and they go on to, um, you know, make films like Trailer Park Shark and Jersey Shore Shark Attack. Mm. And of course, first, also directed Lake Placid 3. Um, also in the cast, you've got people like Jane Bergman, who of course was the January 1999 Playboy Playmate, mm-hmm. who's married to the Bones guy, David Bondi. Oh, David be don't Yeah. Know. I'm glad you said that. Um... Yeah, and and, um, Angel Boris is in it, as well as we've mentioned, as Eve, who uh, started out with Wrath in Interceptor Force, Epoch Evolution, and Dragonstorm. Mm. So this is a really cool compilation of characters. Uh, Mm. And like you say, it's light, it's airy, but it really never draws breath from from minute one.
1: Again, the keys in the camera work. The camera is always, always moving. You know, it's never obnoxious. You know, mm. it's not like shaky cam or no. style for style's sake. It's never overtly showy. Um, It's all done to immerse you in it. Mm-hmm. And it works a treat. You know, you are in this world, which albeit is Bulgaria masquerading as the United States, so you do get the odd character with a mm. who's supposed to be American and who has quite a pronounced Bulgarian sort of <laughs> lilt to their terms. But, yeah, it sucks you in visually. It sucks you in... Um, you know, the the score, as you say, Elfman esque, yeah. Um, and it it's it just good humored good fun. The action sequences hit the mark, yeah. And while I've griped and moaned that we don't necessarily have as spectacular yeah. as boa python fight mm-hmm, as we mm-hmm. should, and the CGI is a little bit dodgy in that sequence because it's a, the final fight is there, it's set in a subway. Um, not the restaurant, say a restaurant, <laughs> not a sandwich bar, uh, but a train, subway, um, and it's a complete CGI rendering. Yeah. It looks a little blocky, looks yeah, a little fake yeah. but I'm just, I am happy to have seen Abor and Python fighting each other.
0: Yeah. So we've got David Flores directing this as well, haven't we? Who of course edited both Python Two and Boa. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he's he's a he's a decent guy. He's got a keen eye, hasn't he? Yeah.
1: Stylistically, David Flores does a bang up job yeah. with a direction, mm-hmm. um, as you say begins as an assistant editor at UFO yeah. uh, where he cut Mindstorm for mm-hmm. Roth, then works up to an editor on Boa and Python 2 uh, Dragonfighter Deep Shock uh, and this is his directorial debut Yeah, um, he's since gone on to direct SS Doomtrooper for mm-hmm. Roth, uh, as well as Lake Placid 2 um, and the Immortal Voyage of Captain Drake and the Exterminators yeah. for him And you know he's he's just good, like um, like the rest of the directors of Python. He he can shape a scene, Mm -hmm. his editing background. He knows how to cut it together to make it exciting.
0: Exactly, yeah, yeah. And also, you know, you got to give credit to the two writers, Chase Parker and Sam Wells, who are both uh, sci-fi veterans to some degree. Albeit Chase was on his first sci-fi film out of five. He'd go on to do *Path of Destruction* and *Reign of the Gargoyles*, while Sam was on his sixth sci-fi film out of seven having written the shark hunter and uh, one of my favorites the excellence flight flight 747 good um so we're done um go out and buy these films if you can't find them um let us know and um, we'll always uh, source one for you i'm sure but you must see these they are mainly i think you can stream most of them on amazon prime um certainly uh all of them apart from maybe Python 2 mm. um, but anyway any problems with, with getting hold of these just let us know and we'll point you in the right direction and feed back to us what you think about these films because they are really good fun and we'd like to hear your thoughts also remember to keep an eye out for our competition which is running uh, to win the Anaconda box set complete with our wonderful booklet and we'll be back next month
1: mm-hmm. with something uh,
0: creepy and crawly Creepy and crawling sounds like uh, something I saw the STD clinic about <laughs> Right, we're off. Um, thank you for listening. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at the Dave Wayne and...
1: At MattyBudrevich.
0: And our Instagram page, which supports our book, which is currently in production, A 1001 Forgotten Films of the 90s Rental Realm. Go and like us at Schlockanore on Instagram. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out the Schlock and Awe page on Instagram, while well, you're welcome to stalk Maddie and Dave on Twitter. See you next time on Natural Selection.